Once upon a time, in the not-so-distant past, yet another epoch altogether, the gates to the unknown realm of the digital frontier were just beginning to open. What wonders awaited? What utopian heights would civilization attain from this world-uniting technology? Well, mostly it's been advertisements, consumer tracking, vainglorious social media platforms, data scraping, and the highest heights of acceptance of crackpot, nutjob, knee-jerk conspiracy theories of all time. Mostly. But in the beginning, while we were dreaming of another world, before you could build your avatar into your ideal person or your most kick-ass version, what if we were populating this invisible realm with just ourselves, rendered from all the bits of mundane information from the DMV, your credit score, and your insurance profile? Here, in 1982, a hidden world was imagined where the programs hustle and bustle about their digital lives, getting the work done that drives civilization in an increasingly computerized, information-driven society. But what if the programs also began to lust for power and dominance of that world? Is it not we who wrote them after all? It's like Narnia for computer nerds. This week in the escape pod, Tron. Into our escape pod. My name is Ryan. Hi, I'm Nathan. Hi, Nathan. I want to say thanks for having me on the show, Ryan. Oh, well, it's it's entirely my pleasure. I'm I'm really excited to be uh, on the show today. It'd be really weird to be uh, stuck in this escape pod with you and not have you on the show. I would resent you. <laughs> yeah, I know. Boy, the tension in this in this pod would just skyrocket. I'd be like in Dark Star. Are you going to be the guy with the box of rubber chickens and stuff? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to be like, get the fuck out of here, man. I'd, I think I'd be the guy just like shooting up the ship. <laughs> well, maybe we should disclose at this point what movie. 1982's Steven Lesberger directed, Walt Disney produced, Tron. I definitely have fond memories of this movie. This is one of those, I feel like I started saying this when we watched the other Disney movie we watched, which was The Black Hole. But this is something that I saw as a kid, I think in the theater yeah. even. Yeah, for sure. It was was quite, quite struck by. I don't know if we talked about this at the end of the last episode, but my cousin was really into Tron and I went to visit. He had all the sorts of Tron crap in his room and we went and saw the movie. You know, I remember being, I guess I was seven or eight. And I remember being confused and bored by a lot of it. Sure. Did you play the arcade game? Yeah. And I think that's probably one of the more lasting memories, right? Because the arcade game stuck around longer than the movie. Yeah, for decades, really. Or at least a decade. But every time you went into an arcade, you know, until whatever, I don't know when they disappeared, but the late 80s. You know, there was always a Tron arcade game, and it had the same joystick that the game has in the movie. 
and it was you know it was like i don't know if it was the first probably wasn't the first but i remember it was the one where i was like oh my god it's not just a little ball on the end of a stick joystick like it's this you know crazy like jet fighter but transparent plastic you know illuminated lights up blue yeah so it was pretty it was pretty damn cool cool looking world what's the chicken or the egg scenario with this one do you know if the game was made before the yeah before the movie no the movie the movie was written before the game was made. All right, because the movie was written several years before this movie. Yeah, the the guy who was first time director, and he never really did anything else of consequence uh, as far as directing goes. You could maybe figure out why if you watch the movie. <laughs> but um, he ran like a ad agency. He was an animator, and he had a small team of people with him, and did ads and. They had come up with this Electron Man character that used this backlit animation technique, and so there was just sort of a passion of his to get this thing made. That's right. So the film, the film idea was before before the video game for sure, but it was video games that inspired the movie. He said that Pong, in particular, which you know, I don't know, it seems like the least exciting what video the- game. Yeah, what the fuck was Pong? <laughs> yeah, but he says Pong, he used to think about going into Pong and what what that world was like. Very inspiring. <laughs> yeah. Sometimes we're inspired by the video games we have, not the video games we want. Everyone says that. <laughs> yeah. whatever God the peace may be. So I actually can't remember how we get into this. The first thing I remember is the arcade scene. But that's not where it begins, right? Or is it? I mean, yeah, you see that Tron handle on the arcade pretty quick. It starts out with this, like, animated sequence first. So, like, there's symphonic music, and you're falling into, like, an animated circuit board with, like, the lines, and you're kind of passing through grids. And they very much make it, a, give it, like, a nighttime city vibe from an airplane kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, uh-huh, exactly. So, you start out sort of falling into the digital world and then are abruptly shown yeah this arcade real classic arcade scene i mean we were quite young then but uh it was a very familiar space to me yeah a few years later you know as a young teenager and stuff i especially thought like the like the clothing like i mean this isn't a period costume film like they weren't recreating it it was it was just it was made in that era but like i definitely remember that styles of t-shirts with like those iron-on uh-huh. baseball <laughs> numbers and... Yeah, everybody looks great. Yeah, <laughs> I guess. And everybody wore much tighter t-shirts back then. Oh yeah, for sure. That was definitely the style of the time. But we kind of pass through the arcade and then go right into the machine. And they just plop us right into uh, two programs as we learn them to be uh fighting it out in light cycles yeah and then you know it cuts back to a kid being like you know like damn it when he's his guy dies or whatever the visual language is telling us right away we're okay we're going to be cutting in between these two worlds and that the inhabitants of this microscopic digital world are the, the the personified programs and things that go about their daily lives in here yeah and we spend a little time right away with the main baddie or at least the main bad guy lieutenant is it zark sark sark yeah you're getting brutal sark brutal and needlessly sadistic thank you master control played by the amazing david warner why is he amazing he's just a favorite of mine he's peppered throughout sci-fi and fantasy 
movies of the 80s and 90s. And who's the bad guy in Time Bandits? Nipples for men. Oh, okay. He, gosh, there's so many things. There's a lot of Trek things that come to mind. How many lights are there? Really? You know that great movie, uh, Star Trek V, <laughs> where they go yeah. and fight God? Yeah, I do know that great Star Trek movie. Yeah, he's in that. Welcome to Paradise City, my dear, capital of the so-called planet of galactic peace. Hmm. I don't remember that movie at all. Well, that's uh, par for the course. Well, I see we have a long way to go. There's some conversation between the programs. They start talking about their users, and somebody calls somebody a religious nut for believing in users. Right. Even in the beginning, like, Sark is communing with... uh, what we come to know is the master control program. And that's kind of like the Sauron of this world, basically. And specifically, he's taking their functions. Yeah, he's kidnapping other programs from other systems. He gobbles up what he can use, assimilates it to himself to make his program better and more efficient. And then the ones he figures he can't use, he sends them into the game grid, they call it. And where most of them get terminated, I guess. And even when Sark is having this first conversation he mentions something about users and master control like kind of quickly disabuses of them of that even though as we learned master control like knows all about the users yeah he's trying to make the rest of the programs think like no that's a myth you believe in the users yeah sure if i don't have a user then who wrote me that's what you're doing here master control programs been snapping up all us programs who believe if he thinks you're useful he takes over all your functions so he gets bigger and if he can't use you, he sends you down here to the game grid to get the bits blasted out of you. So, okay, so it's flipping back and forth, and then we get the flipping back and forth between Flynn, who's played by Jeff Bridges, and the arcade is called Flynn's. We're in the arcade, and we meet Flynn, and he's at his computer. It's an Apple III, by the way, if anybody cares. Ooh. Somebody definitely does. And they, they already know, then. He's talking to Clue, who is in the digital world. Yeah, so Jeff Bridges' character, Kevin Flynn, he's, we get the sense that Encom is his big company. Flynn is trying to hack into it, and he's using a program called Clue, and Clue is played by Jeff Bridges as well. So, so wait, do we therefore have a big Lebowski and a little Lebowski? Yeah, that's right. So the little Lebowski is Clue, and he's in his tank. And when, um, Jeff Bridges is doing some serious, like, nerd robot voice when he's, when he's being Clue. Yes, sir. I taught you everything I know about the system. Thank you, sir, but I'm not sure... No buts, Clue. That's for users. Now, you're the best program that's ever been written. You're dogged and relentless, remember? Let me add him. That's the spirit. <laughs> I noticed that, too. I thought it was pretty funny, because yeah. he doesn't hold on to that style for very long. No, it, yeah, it's not... It quickly is left by Clue. Yeah, he gets emotional pretty quickly. Yeah, and then we meet Bit, who is like just a floating, animated, like strobing sphere... Maybe you can explain that to me a little bit. It can only like do yes or no. So it's like a binary bit, a zero or a one. So it can, so it says yes or no. So that's like the smallest thing, kind of, of informational data-wise. And it seems like it's supposed to be helping Clue or it's Clue's pet. Yeah, it seems like it's supposed to be an aid of some sort. Speaking of puns, like at this point, I forget who says it. If it's Jeff Bridges in the real world or Jeff Bridges as Clue. But at some point, somebody yells out, I don't know, like, come on, you scuzzy data, or come on, scuzzy, you know, I hate scuzzy data. Come on, you scuzzy data, be in there. And 
to anybody who's not a total computer nerd, you would think that he's just meaning like dirty, but SCSI, S-C-S-I, is a data protocol. No, that one went right by me. And that would have been pretty early because I don't think, I think SCSI was like pretty new in, in the beginning of the 80s. Well, there you go. I mean, you've you've got all this new technology coming to bear to make this movie. Oh yeah, developed in seven, 78 and publicly disclosed in, in 81. They're cutting edge. I just like the fact that they had to have somebody legit, you know, doing some of the computer stuff. Great. Another religious nut. <laughs> so Clue's trying to dig up this data that uh, Flynn wants because Flynn's hacking, right? Clue's in hot pursuit. So this is where we're really getting to see like the digital world and the animation and these like flying, I don't even know, like staples. Yeah, they, they definitely look like weird staples, <laughs> flying staples. I think it's worth describing. I mean, most people have probably seen this or at least seen the modern sequel to this. Uh, but the world is its very dark. You know, it's basically like all blacks and deep blues. All the characters and the machinery are have like neon outlines. And that's why this movie got made, the look. I mean, no, nobody was sold on the story. It was all, this is the first movie to use computer, like it depended on computer rendering and computer animation right. to a huge extent. Like, you know, almost the whole movie relies on it. And they also did this backlight animation technique, right, where instead of photographing animation cells with like, you know, the light coming from over the shoulder of the camera, the cells were had transparent parts so that there was a light that came through the animation cell into the camera. Yeah, and the cells were like negatives also, like the photographs of the people that they were superimposing. Well, they weren't negatives, but they did film all, everything in black and white, all of the all that, so... It was complicated to read about it. Yeah, and if you actually look at the... If you watch the movie and you like look at their skin and their faces, it, it's very clearly there's no color. It's just black and white, which is... It's interesting. Like It definitely adds a otherworld type feel to it. For the most part, I feel like the animation world holds up. There are definitely some areas where they, you know, where they add actual animation to something. Yeah. That really stand out or very like jerky. Mm-hmm. That they they don't fit in. Yeah, I had that comment too. And it's not just like going from traditional animation to computer animation, like even within the computer animation, like at one moment they'll be doing like polygon rendering, like I don't know if like in the arcades there's those tank games that you could play, right? And it's just like it's all polygons and lines and there's no shading and there's no texture. They'll have that. And then they'll also have something that is like ray traced. You know, that's how you would get something photorealistic. Now, back then, you know, they weren't they weren't trying to do photorealistic with the ray tracing, but it's just a different technique. They would have these two computer animation things together, especially at the end. And it was def- it was like, that doesn't look like it fits real well. I don't know what either of those things mean, but I get the the gist of what you're saying. Yeah, so like ray tracing is like simply where you have like an object and you say like what like this object is wood and this object like say it's a sphere and this object is a square and it's it's made out of like mirror or just silver. And then you write a program where there's a light source and it shoots photons in every direction and you you track where every photon goes and the ones that hit your camera like you have a like a virtual camera sitting somewhere in your, you know, in your virtual world, those get recorded as the image that's being, so all of, all of the, the image is built from like simulated photons that are hitting and interacting with the material. So like if it's wood, then it knows that like 
you know, this percentage of the light's going to scatter off randomly and this much is going to be absorbed at these wavelengths, you know, whereas if it's silver, it's going to mostly reflect it perfectly. So you get that's how you would get these photorealistic things. And so Tron has some of that in it. Um, although they don't push it to the photorealism, they're trying to keep it so that all of the things have sort of similar resolution. But that's what that is. Whereas like the polygon stuff is just where like you have 3D models and it's just like the, you know, a grid or a skeleton lines, right? That's what most of Tron is. Yeah, right. We believe in nothing. We believe in nothing, Lebowski, nothing. So right, Clue's trying to dig out the program the big Lebowski wrote. Am I going to keep going with that? I don't know. <laughs> you can. We'll call him Lebowski and Flynn and Jeff Bridges, and people will really love following along. Excuse me? I said we cut off your Johnson. He gets tortured by Master Control shortly after. To get him his, his information. We don't know what that is yet. And then they erase him, but they call it uh, de-resing. Oh, yeah. You are making me talk. Suit yourself. <laughs> Back to the real world, as they call it, or our world, we see this, the ENCOM chopper you mentioned before, coming down to land on the uh, the ENCOM building, which is, um, we're being introduced to this big building, and the chopper looks exactly the same as as a construction from inside the digital realm. Yeah, like, and not just that, it's got the red color of like the bad guys. Right, right, so we have to say that if you're a blue you're a good guy in this world. And if you're red, you're a bad guy. That's right. If all your ground effects are one of these two colors. So pretty slick looking chopper with all its red neon piping. And so here's David Werner's other character. Uh, he also plays in the real world, uh, a guy named Dillinger, who is, I don't know, CEO or something. Oh my God. I didn't know it was the same guy. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the same guy. Oh, that makes, that makes sense. There he is. Yeah. He's, and he's also the voice of master control. How did I not realize that he was Dillinger? Hello, Mr. Dillinger. Thanks for coming back early. No problem, Master C. Dillinger gets into his really, really, like, Death Starry office. Big black glass table he's got that's also his computer console. He immediately starts talking with Master Control. Master Control is... he's pretty scary. Yeah. You get the sense right away that he's a lot more than a program. Right, well, yeah, he's in charge of this person who's running this company he kind of threatens uh dillinger and and he was saying that somebody was trying to get into the system and the uh master control program says it it felt like flu right it was a little chilling yeah there's a 68.71 percent chance you're right cute yeah this desk is pretty cool they got like the keyboard that's just like there's no keys it's just typing on the glass of the table right like it's a a projected keyboard up onto the yeah really cool like high tech for that time yeah. idea i think we all thought we were going to get those but then god it just makes my hands cramp up thinking about typing on that thing mr dillinger i'm so very disappointed in you they have their conversation and whenever master control is done talking he ends all his things his paragraphs with end of line yeah and i, I assume that's also a computer thing yeah it definitely is and it's but it's also very it's very ominous. End of line. They decide to shut down that security level or whatever. We meet one of our other main characters who works as a programmer in NCOM, and he's writing the Tron program that he says is a uh, security program, a watchdog program, I guess. It'll run independently. And watchdog the MCP as well. Sounds good. Right. This guy's name's Alan, and he gets pissed. Master Control doesn't know about it yet. Alan is played by the great Bruce Boxleitner, 
classic country or not country i guess a western western actor yeah i'm unfamiliar with this guy how (laughs) what's he what's he famous for i mean this has got to be one of his first movies well he he was in like how the west was one he did a bunch of western stuff and then he did tron and then he was in scarecrow and mrs king which which is a tv (laughs) show and then uh-huh. he really, I think he came back with Babylon 5. Oh, okay. I knew he was linked with science fiction in some other way. I have never seen an episode of Babylon 5. I have not either. It looks awful. And I don't think I'm going to start now. No. Yeah. <laughs> it's probably a lot of people that like sci-fi that like that. Though. I have no doubt. Yeah, he he turned down the role of Tron. He was, you know, he, like, he was a horse guy. He rode horses and owned horses and was in westerns and... Who knows why, like, Steven Lisberger would want him, but he wanted Bruce Boxleitner and sent him the script to read while he was working on something else. And Bruce Boxleitner said, no, not not interested. Like, he just couldn't imagine, you know, but also it's like, you can understand why, like, Jeff Bridges, he's like, yeah, this guy, Steven Lisberger approached me about this. And Steven Lisberger was really passionate. And he wanted to do all this crazy computer stuff. And, like, Jeff Bridges was like, yeah, whatever. I'm, you know, sounds awesome. You know, whereas, like, the square Bruce Boxleitner was like, this doesn't make any sense. (laughs) You know, I'm not going anywhere near this. So he got talked into playing a big old computer nerd. Yeah, with some amazing glasses. Really amazing glasses. Of, Of all of those early 80s engineering glasses, these are, like, the high fashion version they look really They're really sleek. They look very expensive, but just as stupid. <laughs> That's a good selling slogan right there. <laughs> yeah. I can't afford to have an independent programmer monitoring me. Do you realize how many outside systems I've gone into? How many programs I've appropriated? He's bummed out about being shut out, and he leaves the office and goes into the elevator and hits the button for Laser Bay 2. And we go down into a, a crazy big science factory type setting. It looks like they're working on a collider or something, you know? This was filmed at um, Lawrence Livermore. Oh, what's that? Uh, Lawrence Livermore Lab. It's a not like a national, I think it's a national government research facility for, I think, lasers. I don't know. People can Google that and let us know. Let's know what they do there, or do we want to know? I'm sure it gives us great flavors of Capri Sun. It's just big vats of Capri Sun. Mm-hmm. Well, what these scientists are doing here is is not that. Uh, we meet Laura, played by... Cindy Morgan. Uh, she has the other great pair of glasses. Mm-hmm. She's a scientist. She's working in there, and so is uh, the old man. I, can't, I don't have his name at hand. Dr. Old Dude. He's like the grandpa in um dead vampire movie. Shit. <laughs> One thing about living in Santa Carla, I never could stomach all the damn vampires. He's he's real. He's not super ornery. Not like classic, like ornery gruff. But he's not overly ornery. But he's definitely like got a lot to just bitch and complain about. But he's also excited because they're yeah they're digitizing fruit. Yeah, that's what they're doing down there. They're they're they've got some kind of laser rig and they're disintegrating things. They're digitizing. That's what you said, right? Yeah. Hi, Alan having fun disintegrating things down here. disintegrating, Alan. Digitize. Yeah. So the laser scans them and they disappear and then they all go run around the corner and look at a computer screen and there's like a wireframe model of the fruit 
I was really disappointed. I guess this is this might be a spoiler, but um, I was really disappointed that when you know Bridges' character is is in the dig- in the digital world running around, we never find like a room, <laughs> a room full of fruit. <laughs> All of the oranges they sent there? Yeah, like some bananas. and It's like whoever packed their lunches, no one wanted to eat the one piece of fruit that was put in their brown bag. <laughs> like, like, oh, cool, put this in the digitizer. Most of these programs just standing around looking at them, like totally befuddled. Like, what in the world are we supposed to do with these? It's neat the way it does it, too. I like that. You know, we, we see the reversal of the, when you build an image, or what we imagine you build an image in the digital world looks like, like you said, it has like a grid frame. Yeah. And we see the reverse of that. Yeah, that's a, this is like the iconic scene of the movie. Alan, the box lifter character, talks about that there was some kind of hacking going on. Tampering. You know, Flynn has been thinking about breaking into the system ever since Dillinger Candon. Yeah, it's got to be Flynn. They, they know. Everybody knows. So they head over to Flynn's arcade to confront him about this. Well, there's one little thing when, when uh, box lifter was heading to the laser lab. Like he got up from his cubicle, right? He's in a big, huge cubicle farm. Like this, some guy jumps out of another cubicle and says, "Hey, can I have some of your popcorn?" Oh yeah. And then like, <laughs> and then like as as Boxlifter is walking away, he, the guy like just like jumps into the into his cubicle and like I, you don't see him devouring <laughs> popcorn, but he's definitely getting himself some popcorn. Hey, Alan, you think I can have some of your popcorn? Yeah, sure. They get to the arcade and they find Flynn hard at work playing a video game. Crowd of people around him. One of the games is called Space Paranoids. It's very hip right now. There's a big sign on top of his of his arcade. That's right. And um, man, he has sweaty armpits. <laughs> well, yeah. Those places always were a little warm. Those places were always very fucking humid. Yeah. At first, I thought it was like they're just gonna let this go, you know, because he's got like eight inch sweat rings under his t-shirt under his armpits yeah and but they get up to his office and the first thing he does is change his t-shirt in front of him right so he knew it too and when they were looking for him that's when we really get another really good view of like all the different characters in the arcade and there's like the they're passing by some kid who it looks like the bomber from royal tenenbaums you know he's like full <laughs> tennis outfit <laughs> Oh yeah, right. Sending that kid, and they're, they're like, they're like, where's uh, you know, like, where's Flynn? And then he's like, I don't know, some fourteen-year-old who's like, over there. <laughs> he's got the headband and everything. I don't know, Jim. There's obviously something wrong with him. So it turns out that um, you know, there's a little bit of uh, of social competition here. Like Flynn used to date the scientist, mm-hmm. but now she's with Alan. So you know, Alan's a bit stiff around him. Yeah. Before they go over there, talking about well, Flynn used to have access to these systems. And Alan says something like, Flynn had access to you too. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it, it definitely, they try to have a little bit of tension with this like triangle, but luckily it doesn't ever really matter. The best programmer Incom ever saw, and he winds up playing space cowboy in some back room. Flynn is, I also got to say, he's very like, I mean, it's this full-blown Jeff Bridges for sure. And I, I don't remember what he did before this, but I feel like this character he's playing is kind of like who he is from now on. Yeah. There's like no small talk. Laura and Alan are trying to warn Flynn that they're on to him because he's hacking. And um, the whole time Flynn is just playing like Mattel handheld baseball. Like he's not even looking at them. He's just playing a video game. And Alan's very like, very flippant. Alan's like, why do you care about this? 
and he claims that he invent and so Flynn claims he invented space paranoids and a bunch of other video games that he did on his own time after hours and that Dillinger stole these games and now Dillinger's in charge of MCOM and Rich and Flynn is out. Alan's like, Well what is you know, why are you doing this? And and Flynn is like, Because man yeah, you know, like yeah. they still Lebowski on Yeah, him. and it's like so like I'm like I think there's like that quote is like cause they they stole <laughs> the rug ties the room together, man. Yeah, it's it's right there. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what I'm blathering about. I've got information, man. New shit has come to light. And, and shit, man. They decide they're going to help, which is crazy because they have barely been talked into it. Yeah, I mean. Like, he just does this. He does this, like, because, man. And then I don't know what he says, but then, like, Alan is like, well, not if my Tron program was running. Like, Laura and Alan are like, all right, well, let's let's go fuck up NCOM. Yeah, I think he gives him some more dirt on, like, what the master program has been doing. Yeah. A little bit. I think they see that maybe it's a little more serious of a problem than uh, just Lebowski's But they decided to break into a corporation with just, Oh, yeah, they're ready to do corporate espionage right away. They make a plan that they're going to sneak in on a lower security level digitally, and that's going to gain them access. And they're going to, like, I don't know, sneak their way up a level through there. Flynn's got to do something. And then uh, Boxlifter's going to get the Tron program running. And then... Right. And Tron's going to go in there and restore order or something. Yeah. So they get to NCOM. 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 Their security card isn't working or something. And and Lebowski's got, like, a cool little circuit board hack hacker thing he made that he puts on the, the interface. And it descrambles the lock and opens the door yeah and it's like the door to cheyenne mountain yeah it is yeah. huge it's a six foot thick door this has got to be an ad lib by jeff bridges where they're standing there waiting for it to open and he, and he like turns and he's like now that is a big door yeah. <laughs> like it's like wait you used to work here you know it's a big door yeah that was uncalled for we cut back to human dillinger in his office, he had just given the old man scientist kind of the get the fuck out of here old man bit. Yeah. Even though it seems like he was the man who actually started the company. Yeah, we find out. Yeah, he's the guy that started it. You know, you can remove men like Alan and me from the system, but we help create it. And our spirit remains in every program we design for this computer. Walter, it's getting late. I've got better things to do than to have religious discussions with you. Tillinger continues his conversation with Master Control, who promptly begins to blackmail Dillinger. Wait, well, he just he declares first he wants to hack the Pentagon. The Pentagon? It, it's bored now, and it wants bigger and better game. Right. This shouldn't be any harder than any other big company, but now this is what I get for using humans. Now, wait a minute. I wrote you. Yeah, it starts talking about the Pentagon and the Kremlin. And he's like, I've gotten 2,415 times smarter since then. Gray an exponential rate, and he knows the dirt that Dillinger stole those programs and made all of his money off of the games he didn't write. That's right. So he's like, You wouldn't want me to dig up Flynn's file and read it up on a VDT at the Times, would you? You wouldn't dare. Keep doing what I, what I say, because I can take this all away from you. End of line. So we cut back to our heroes as they're scampering around, uh... <laughs> yeah. The office. This is more Lebowski acting where he's like, he's sneaking around like a cartoon character. Yeah, he's doing like quick running, but on your toes. (laughs) They split up. Alan went back to his cubicle because he's got to, whatever, try to get Tron in there, right? Yeah. He's got to wait for access so he can load Tron. Yeah. And as he's in his cubicle, 
I noticed something. He had a like a banner in his cubicle. I don't know if you saw this, but I did. I did. It was yellow and a black letters on it. I'm like, what the fuck is that? And it says Gort Klatu Barada Niktu. Oh uh, yeah. And for me, that is Army of Darkness. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. No, I don't. I don't know what you're talking about. So I was like, well, how, why are is, are they referencing Tron? And this is probably everyone else in the science fiction world knows this, but me. Those are the words that... The robot. Yeah, those are the words you have to say to the robot in the night the earth stood still. Yeah, exactly. To make it stand down. Klaatu Verata Nikto. Again! And that was, I guess, so famous that people kept putting it in things all throughout science fiction movies after that, like slipping it in places. I had no idea about any of that. It was, it was a it was a funny little uh, funny little rabbit hole for me. I got it! I got it! I know your damn words, all right? So Flynn starts hacking in. He gets down to the laser bay. He starts entering into the computer system, and right away, Master Program starts speaking to him. And it's like, oh, hey, Flynn. How's it going with you? You shouldn't have come back, Flynn. Hey, 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 it's the big Master Control Program everybody's been talking about. You know, Lebowski's being a real smart-ass to him. In the meantime, we see that the... The barrel of that laser is is bearing down on him. Well, Flynn pushes him to it, right? He has to do something. Alan is waiting for Flynn to accomplish something so that Alan will have access to launch Tron. So what Flynn does is he's at some point he says he's typing and he mutters, you know, let's see how you do with a few unsolvable problems. So he's clearly like. I don't know, do it, like entering in like what is five divided by zero or something. <laughs> the idea being that like, you know, master control, you know, won't be able to handle it. And something to get in a loop. Yeah. And you can hear master control panicking. Like, stop, please. You realize I can't allow this. You know, says that several times and then the gun turns on. So like master control, will, you know, is sort of pushed to the point where he digitizes Flynn. I'm going to have to put you on the game, Brit. Right, and here's the uh, aforementioned uh, iconic scene yeah. of Jeff Bridges kind of frozen in the air, getting zapped by this thing as yeah. he grids, and uh, it goes like block by block, disintegrates him, like reverse 3D prints him, basically. <laughs> it's great it looks it looks wonderful it really does what a joy this part i remember thinking about a lot as a kid like how that would work and what that would feel like and like yeah this is when you start thinking about the like what is it like to be in a computer Uh uh-huh but i remember like my brain going to this you know often enough as a kid especially because i worked on electronics and computers a lot it was sort of like you know like wanting to like find Narnia behind a, a bookcase or something. Narnia for computer nerds. I've got a little challenge for you, Sark. A new recruit. He is in the system and feels like he's tripping. Doesn't know what is going on here. And immediately, you know, some some guards come and are hitting him with digital cattle prods. And he's a blue. They take him away, and it, it cuts to David Werner as Sark communing with Master Program, and Master Program's like, gives him the dirt. He's like, all right, look, I'm sending you a program. I want you to run him through the game grid, but, you know, don't kill him right away. Toy with him for a while kind of thing, and let's go that he's a user. What kind of program is he? He's not any kind of program, Sark. He's a user. Yeah, Sark panics a little bit. Yeah, he gets really concerned about having to, like, combat, basically fight a god. As far as he's concerned. Yeah. Well, I was just, I don't know, a user. I mean, 
users wrote us. What if I can't? And then at Master Control, like, doesn't he then like punish Sark? It's like he like hurts him. Yeah, yeah, he does. He does something with like drains power from him or something. I want him in the games until he dies. Play acknowledge. Acknowledge, Master Control. End of line. Does Flynn? Uh, I don't know if he meets our other programs just yeah he's in the cell holding cells yeah he meets ram and tron i don't know if crom was in and tron tron's in there yeah all right was oh was crom the accounting program yeah crom was the accounting program that he then plays in a little bit and ram is like an insurance program yeah but you can tell ram is like he's a survivor he's now a game player he's good at it right he's adapted his program or whatever the hell it is but like he's been doing it for a while right right whereas crom is like a brand new you know, program to the games. And you can tell he's just, yeah, he's going to get destroyed. Mainly because he's sort of puffy and out of shape compared to Ram, who's, you know. Yeah, what are they saying about these um, (laughs) occupations here? I work at a savings and loan. I can't play these video games. Sure you can, pal. So, oh, but by the way, do you recognize Ram? Uh, No. He's our popcorn enthusiast. (laughs) So it did have a purpose. It did have a purpose. (laughs) Tiny. (laughs) Not really, Flynn is in the holding cell waiting for whatever whatever game it is. And, you know, he, d- he definitely pl- pulls another um, Lebowski moment where he's like, he's like, just so I can tell my, s- explain to my friends when I wake up from this dream, you know, where exactly am I? That's the Lebowski part. He's really good at just going along with it. It's just like, all right, far out, man. Ride it out. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, what condition, what condition was it? So the guards come and, and gather up the players and the guards, you know, they're in, they're in red and the players in blue. And I remember this scene too from being a kid because the guards are standing on top of the cells and it's just like, right, the cells are just force fields. They're these geometric shapes. It's this blue line, you know, computer world. Guards are standing. There's like a glass ceiling, but there's no glass. It's just like a force field or something. And, and I always remember thinking that looked really amazing. We get an external of the ship that they're in. or I don't even know if they're in the ship, but we, we get Sark's ship flying by. It's very unclear where you are at most times. They assemble all the programs, all the players, and uh, he kind of gives them the, uh, you know, welcome to Stalag 13 speech. Tells them to renounce the users. Right, right. There's all this ideological shit going on in this fascist regime. It's like, all hail master control, and I will have no gods before master control, and so forth. If you do this, if you renounce the users, then you'll get better treatment. Those of you who continue to profess a belief in the users will receive the standard, substandard training, which will result in your eventual elimination. And we get to see um, a little scene of the Tron program fighting in a game. Yeah, he's kicking ass. He's playing four people and he's whipping a frisbee around. Right before this, when Sark is talking to them, we also, that's where the exposition happens, that these discs, you know, have all of their information on them, right? So the, the disc is their identity disc. Right, and everything they experience, like, goes onto the disc. That's pretty cool. And it's also this weapon. Right. So it's like reminiscent of a floppy disk, but it's like a Frisbee disk. It's cooler in that regard. Cooler than a Frisbee? Than a floppy. I don't know. Floppies are pretty cool. They are pretty cool. It's true. Frisbees are kind of (laughs) lame. Oh, come on. (laughs) Tron derezzes all those fuckers. Dispatches them in short order. He has this like amazing over the head behind the back catch. 
guy's the shit. Hey, who's that guy? That's Tron. He fights for the users. Tron. So Flynn gets sent out into his first trial against the aforementioned uh, pudgy little accounting program. And they're standing on these two floating um, platforms comprised of rings. And they got a, a big scoop on their arms. They got to throw the ball back and forth to each other. And if you it hits the ground, one of the rings disappears. You can fall into the abyss. Flynn catches on that he's like, oh shit, this is a serious game. And he can win, but then he refuses to finish him yeah yeah sark yells finish the game and bridges yells no and then sark kills the pudgy accountant anyway and then he's about to kill flynn but uh i think master control jumps in and is like don't you dare finish the game no so now we're off to another game yeah, we're just moving, moving along and, and uh, flynn sees tron for the first time and he thinks it's alan right because it looks like Alan. And he's like, Alan! And yeah, Tron is like taken aback and is like, Alan, where did you hear that name? Well, that's your name, isn't it? The name of my user. And then Flynn... Yeah, he dissembles somehow to... Uh... Well, he starts pretending that he's a program, right? He realizes these are programs, you know, so he's like, oh, well, I'm a, my user knows your user or whatever. Right, right. That's how he does it. He's not ready to reveal himself yet. He doesn't quite know what that would mean, I guess. They ship him off to the light cycle grid, yeah. Yeah, where Tron, Ram, and Flynn are all on one team of light cycles against another team of three light cycles. Right, as, as the bikes travel across the grid, they make a wall. Yeah, and I mean, this is the only game that anybody ever wanted to play in the actual Tron arcade. Absolutely, it's the only one that's any real fun. Yeah, I mean, the tanks was dumb. The spiders with, like, the master control part where you had, like, the arm with the frisbee, that was not that much fun. Just give me the light cycles. You really get the sense that they're moving at a very high rate. Yeah, real fast. And the the cycles look really cool. They look so cool. I always wanted one of these. Yeah, this, the design is awesome. It is. We should have something like that now. We could. We could easily make that now. There's probably somebody that has one. They use teamwork, and they may make sure that they outwit all of the uh, all the bad guy bikes, and they all blow up into walls, and they and they get one to blow up into the barrier that separates the game grid from other parts of this universe yeah they've broken into like a whole new area of the computer where they can now be on the lamb yeah so they get the hell out of there i'm getting out of here right now and you guys are invited got it they're free now and they're they're getting chased by the uh, big flying things that are for some reason called uh, a recognizer oh yeah recognizer i don't understand the reference to this at all yeah i don't either uh, but they're big staples. They're big flying staples. They get out of there, and David Werner as Sark is super pissed. And basically, you know, like, get after them, rah! And they give us a fun, silly thing here where he's looking at a, a screen and yelling. Yeah. And the screen is the Pac-Man maze. Yeah, yeah and they, they totally don't hide it. It's not like a subtle, it's not a subtle thing. It's right there for you to enjoy. But I guess if, you know, if that's a program running in this computer universe, then why wouldn't there be a Pac-Man at some point? Yeah, I mean, you could totally just drop down on the Pac-Man maze, right? I guess that's where all those fruits were going. You got there. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> 
tying that one up. So they deploy the tanks. Tanks are chasing after the light bikes, but they're not quite as agile, of course. Their light bikes just, like, stopped working for some reason. I was unclear about why that happened. I think they just got off of them, right? Oh, they just decided to, like, go it on foot? Yeah. They can carry their bike in their pocket because it's just, like, a bar. It turns into, like, just a bar. Right. Like a relay race baton. They're like, we made it. And then Tron is, like, this far. He's on a holy quest. Is this when they find the water? What's that? That is just what I need right now. This is when they find the water. We get this really shimmery water, and these guys start drinking it down quick, and Flynn's kind of like, what is this? And it's, I guess it's just, like, pure energy or something. And they get straight up, like, drunk on this energy. One guy's drinking it out of his Frisbee. (laughs) Yeah. Come on, Flynn, put a cork in it. One second. They get back out on their light bikes, and then and they get blasted. Yeah, they're being pursued by tanks, and I think Ram gets it. Yeah, Tron sees what looks like it's you know a lot of a lot of the landscape is actually like landscapey, like they're in these canyons and and there's bridges and and there's Jeff bridges. Flynn and Ram are off on their bikes, and tanks take a shot and like destroy part of the cliff side sort of collapses on top of them. And so what Tron sees is that they've been derezzed. And so he hightails it out of there. Like he's, like you said, he's on his mission. He's going to just defeat master control no matter what. Cause it's, you know, Ram and Flynn, like they're all hanging out and doing this shit together, but he's, you know, he's answering to his user, Alan, who's, he's got to follow his program. Yeah. He's got to do what he is. Hey, Nathan, you know, when they were drinking all that, that energy water. Yeah. They got drunk on power. Yeah. Okay. So Flynn survives the motorcycle crash. Ram's pretty banged up. Yeah. And he carries him over and he finds like a hunk of junk, I guess. But it's one of these recognizers that's been kind of blown to bits. Right. Well, they fall asleep in it first. Oh, yeah. They take a little nappy poo. It looks like, the yeah, they're just maybe like in some sort of alcove or like little tiny cave or something. But yeah, when uh, when Flynn wakes up, like... The whole recognizer, like, starts to boot up and turns on. Like, the lights start coming on. Ram is like, you shouldn't be able to do that. And, uh, I don't know if he asks if he's, asks Flynn if he's a user or if Flynn just says I'm a user. You see this? You shouldn't be able to do that. Yeah, I think, uh, Flynn just decides to tell him because he realizes, too, that, uh, like, Ram is, is not long for this world. And so, yeah, he, he lets him know. That he's a, a user, and that really um, makes makes Ram feel good. Then does he die? Is that when he dies? He dies right then. He dies. Well, they, Flynn keeps giving his power to the the quote unquote recognizer, and the whole thing kind of rises in, into the air and goes back together, and becomes whole again. And it's all blue. It's all blue lit and not red lit. And so he basically performs a miracle in front of Ram and lets him know that he is a user. And then Ram dies, yeah, but he, like, dies, like, with his with his faith, you know? How, how wonderful for him. It is. Yeah, God bless that actuarial program. Yep, yep, insurance. Well, <laughs> he does have one part where at some point when they're just shooting the shit and he talks about how much he really enjoyed helping people, like, save money. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. He gives, like, an exact, like, line out of, like, an insurance brochure. Oh, well, we'll miss Ram. R.I.P. R.A.M. really gives you a great feeling helping folks plan for their future needs. And of course, if you think of the payments as an annuity over the years, the cost is really quite minimal. Yeah, that's great. 
So we get Tron looking out over some vista with great intensity. At, at uh, this is when we first see the, the first like light sail ships. Yeah, these are cool. Then he finds Yori, which is so in the real world we had Laura, which was the scientist who was working with the old dude and was Alan's girlfriend. So in the Tron universe, her name is Yorn, and I think it's Yuri. Was it Yuri? Yuri. Yuri. Okay. Anyway, it turns out Yori and Tron are infatuated with each other. They're romantically involved in this world as well. Yeah, they're sweet yeah. on each other. Yeah, he confronts her in some kind of control tower, but at first she's just spitting data at him. She's very blank and robotic, and he kind of like shakes her out of it or whatever. She's just performing her function, and then she's suddenly she snaps to and recognizes. 3056, 99 are correct. Limited 4 and 8 are missing. So she's going to join join forces with him and help. I don't know. He's. I guess he's saying, I guess he's saying he needs to talk to his user or something, and so she has this idea that... I think it's her idea, right? That they have to go find... Um... Right, he knows he needs to talk to his user. And he guess he feels Alan is trying to find him on some level. And so there is a way that they do this here, which is, I guess, basically going to like a terminal. Right. Those those areas, I guess, have been... Um, they're like for, forbidden. Yeah, Master Control's exercising uh, this uh, campaign of isolation. Isolation and high security and things we wouldn't know anything about in the world we actually live in, right? Right. Could you slide your shorts down, please? So we cut back to uh, Lebowski and he's drunk driving the, the stable all over the place. Yeah. He found his bit, though. Clue's bit is... Is now tagging along. Yeah. That's nice. He's driving around. He's bouncing off of things. Did you notice that while he's driving around, there's tire squealing? I was about to just about to bring that up. There's <laughs> lots of like the sound of automobile tires screeching around corners. Right. I mean, this thing is floating in a digital space. It's, it's not even in contact with anything. And they also drop in like the, the foley sounds of car crashes when it hits things. Pretty funny. So he finally totally loses control of the thing can't keep it together anymore and they crash land it's like the red light district yeah i have a crazy fashion show is going on totally crazy fashion show is going on and there's clearly programs that are supposed to be like sex workers i guess yeah i think so standing around I don't know what kind of programs those would be. I wouldn't know anything about that personally, but I'm sure they're out there. But none of the other programs in the fashion show that are wandering around pay him any mind whatsoever. No. He makes like a joke about it. Oh, this town is full of live ones. Everybody's ignoring him. He knocks out a red guard. Like we see Sark marching by with some people and Flynn like grabs a, the very last guard in this, you know, marching group. Classic move. And like, I don't know, tackles him or something. And then uh, Flynn turns red. Oh, right. He uses his, his user powers, I guess. I guess. I mean, this is the classic, I'm behind enemy lines, so I'm going to knock a guy out and take his uniform. Yeah, I thought he was going to take the uniform. And then, of course, turns out you don't have to take the uniform. You just have to turn their color. Yeah, his lights just sense. turn red. Yeah, was, that was easy. This is directly followed by Tron and Laura running, and a guard comes upon them and you know, Tron nails him with his disc. This is the only time we see this. The guard, like, starts spinning around super quickly and basically goes like... 
All right. <laughs> it's the Pac-Man noise. A very, very video game death all of a sudden. So they find the terminal they're looking for, and they hop down in there, and lo and behold, it's the sweet and salty old man scientist. Okay, I've got some notes that don't make sense to me anymore. I've got weird old DJ, cranky Dumont, guardian, religious stuff, <laughs> ah, music, Luke Skywalker, horns. Does, does any of that ring a bell to you? I like your descriptors. Uh, cranky old man DJ. Uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah, he's called Dumont in this world, and he's basically inside of a thing that spins, and his hands are just on a console. And we can't tell by looking at that if he's permanently wired into this thing or what. Right. Which is, I think, what my first impression was as a kid. I found it kind of horrifying. But, um, yeah, he's in a, a big gear kind of thing. But it, it totally looks like he could have a couple turntables in front of him. Paul. Dumont. I can't stand all this commotion. What do you want? I've come to communicate with my user. My, my user. He's got like, a big tall hat. It's very kind of Egyptian-ish almost. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he's on a dais and we understand that he's a, a guardian of the tower. And the tower is, you know, where Master Control is, controlling all the information coming in and out of their world. And he's one of the people that, you know, protect access to that area. But he's a good guy. Yeah, he's blue. That's how we know he's a good. And Tron's like, look, I got to talk to my user, man. And Dumont, I don't know why he would even hesitate, but he's like, okay, yeah, go. I don't understand. Like he didn't have to. It seemed like he would have to pass a test. The way how much he had to think about it, but he just lets him walk past them. Well, I think Dumont was just concerned that that um, Sark and and MC were gonna kill him all. If well, they're at the door. Yeah, bad guys are at the at the gate. Tron gets into the chamber and does his Tron move, which is hold his disc up above his head with two arms. Oh yeah, right. Classic. That's that's the Tron stance. And uh, the light of God comes down, and he's and he hears Alan's voice. He says he's going to put everything you need to know to take care of Master Control onto his disc. And his disc kind of flies up and travels at light speed out of the uh, that particular con tower. And the laser light that leaves the uh, digital universe turns blue instead of red. He's got the plans for the Death Star now. Yeah, exactly. The target area is only two meters wide. They gave us a computer-generated visual of the inner workings of of master control and you gotta throw your disc right here buddy and then the whole thing goes one blast to the reactor module and the whole system goes down that's how you said it they escape sark gets in demont's like i don't know what you're talking about what program i ain't seen nobody today and david warner's pissed about that so he gets brighter red this guy's coming with us now yeah so he does come out of the thing yeah they pull him out and we find that he's not permanently wired in there Tron and Lara get on this big, crazy insect-looking thing that rides like a light beam. Yeah, I think it's like a sol- like, don't they call it a solar sail, or do I- am I just making that up? I think you're just making that up because there's no sun down there. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. This solar sailor simulation will take us across the game sea. They do call it something. It's got a La- name. Laser sail? Maybe light sail? It's got to say it's light sail. Maybe it's a light sail. Yeah, it's got a big sail, and it's on a it's on a laser beam. Solar sailor. And they fight some bad guys. Well, Tron starts kicking some butt. Yeah. We get a lot more game sound effects. <laughs> and then there's one guy left. He just commits suicide by jumping off of the the boat. I love this guy. <laughs> He, he he watches all of his other buddies die. Yeah. D-Rez, anyway. And then Tron turns to him and he just goes, ah! 
just throws himself <laughs> off. <laughs> what a fucking funny moment to put in this movie. <laughs> Love that guy. We don't, we don't have time for more fighting. Yeah. But for continuity reasons, we can't get rid of this guy. Any, this is the fastest way to get rid of him. <laughs> Turns out there's one guy still hanging on. But it's Lebowski. I was talking about my rug. As a red. And, and he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Be cool, man. And uh, he turns blue again. And they're all buds. They're reunited. Greetings, program. Glenn, you're alive. So we have kind of a the little moment of peace between action where Tron and Yuri and Lebowski are riding the, riding the data stream, they call it. Lebowski's straight up like, I'll, I'm a user. And they're quite taken aback by this. (laughs) It's time I level with you. I'm what you guys call a user. He lets them know and they're kind of like, that's crazy. And like, then how come you are in this predicament basically? And he's kind of like, well, we're just people. People are just people. We're just like you. And Tron's like, stranger, stranger. It's all coming to a head now. We're closing in on master control. The ships crash into each other and then Laura and Flynn are captured and... They find Dumont, like they're in jail, and we see Dumont is there. And one, either Laura or Flynn said Tron is dead, right, in the crash. Like, Tron didn't survive. But we see Tron is sneaking around on the exterior of the ship. Tough program. And the ship is Sark's big aircraft carrier ship, which I don't mean to question this universe, but I don't know why he needs a ship that big, but I guess... I mean, I guess it carries all of his troops and stuff, and tanks and fighter planes. Yeah. So, okay. So, anyway, Tron is sneaking around... On this ship, and uh, Sark then decides he's gonna leave the ship, and he's left Yuri and or Yuri Flynn and the old cranky DJ. DJ depends. <laughs> yeah, that's that's that, that's not kind. <laughs> no, but it's funny. Uh, oop, 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 oops! I crap my pants. Yeah, so like the ship is just slowly getting derezzed from front to back. So we have this sort of impending doom. And he takes Dumont and he takes like half a dozen or whatever, a dozen other old blue hair programs that he's been collecting, I guess. And these are all the old, like the original programs. Yeah, like the priests. This is kind of like the final coup of the fascist regime of master control. He's going to gather all of these old original operating systems together and like incorporate them yeah into his final program this is his final solution right in master control program he's gonna he owns all the department heads now you know of their society and now there won't be any way to communicate with uh, the user world except through master control is kind of what i got right yeah i'm taking our friend here and some other religious fanatics to master control when i disembark this ship and everything that remains on board will automatically de-res. Yeah, they take the olds and they strap them in inside the crazy spinning turbine that is master control. Yeah, it's like one of those carnival rides. Oh yeah, like the um, the Gravitron. Where the floor drops away. Did you ever go on one of those? Oh yeah. Really? I don't think I ever braved the Gravitron. I always heard all the stories about the Gravitron. But your fear is that somebody's going to throw up right, that, while it's going. That's the story. That's why you don't. That's why you don't do it. <laughs> exactly. And it flies around and bounces around the chamber and... Yeah, it just creeps towards you. Lands on when, I mean, somebody else. Yeah. yeah. Just, just the person next to you, just, you'll just see it slowly, like... 
And they strap in all the olds inside the turbine and their their power is being added to the power of master control. And everybody gets off the boat before derezzes somehow. But we got the showdown now between Sark and Tron. They're going to have their frisbee throwdown. Mano a mano. I feel a presence. Another warrior is on the mesa. Yeah. So it's going okay. It's kind of exciting. Tron appears to win. He busts Sark's frisbee in half and it also like cleaves his skull. Yeah. Or at least his hat. Right. Sark is like almost trying to like defend the attack with his, you know, his frisbee in both hands. And yeah, it just splits his frisbee in half. He falls to the ground, right? And then his head wound is just like spilling out. (laughs) <laughs> digital information digital goo yeah yeah it's pretty cool it's super awesome looking and then master control is like all my functions are now yours take and so he resurrects Sark as his even more powerful defender he's like 40 foot tall yeah he becomes giant Tron's fighting giant Sark but really he's just trying to he's got to hit all those because they're playing the video game you right. know so he's got to hit all those little shields three times or whatever to make them disappear so he can get a photon torpedo into the heart of the Death Star. It's away! 40-foot Sark gets in his way and kind of deflects his laser disc. Negative. Negative. It didn't go in. Just on the And then Flynn kisses Yuri and jumps into the MCU. Yeah, and she's like, what the hell is this? She's like, I don't know what a kiss is. But Lebowski's here to show you. Yeah, but she'd, didn't she already kiss Tron? No, no. This was the first kiss in their universe. Well, how do you know that? Well, the way she reacted to it. Oh, well. Maybe it's the first time she's been kissed like that. <laughs> yeah. You get kissed by a Lebowski, man. It changes everything. You mean quietness? Flynn jumps in to the belly of the beast, and his presence, for some reason, turns the furiously red spinning face blue. Yeah. And Master Control's like, oh shit, I got the blues now. Yeah. And Tron gets his shot. You're all clear, kid. Now let's blow this thing and go home. Yeah, Master Program derezzes basically, and we see the silhouette of the body of Flynn shoot up through the power, you know, stream. The fanatics are running away. There's an explosion. And we also see, like, at the source of Master Control is another, like, old man computer program to catch that guy. But it's still the same guy, right? I thought it was the cranky doctor i think it was just another dumont like evil dumont yeah i thought so but but i don't think he started out evil like i think that was just sort of the original program i just like that there was at the center of master control that its root program was oh it's still like a program yeah just another one of these program people was its basic program was still in there somewhere and it's revealed and then it kind of like dies or derezzes the face pulls back into the cowl of the dj suit End of line. And that's the end of Master Program. The Tron world all lights up. Yeah, we get this part, which is pretty fun, where, like, not just lights up, it's like it's like beauty is restored to the landscape. Like, we get more detail and more color and illumination. Right, this world that was completely dark and occluded most of our time here suddenly becomes, yeah, it's quite spectacular, really. And all of the towers of light that shoot up into our world all start turning blue and balance is restored to the land it's free internet it's it's net neutrality yeah so flynn and uh 
doesn't even get to say goodbye because he went up in the beam and now um he gets re-lasered back into the human world yeah he gets reconstituted he looks rather stunned and immediately the printer's doing its dance and he's got the original files he wanted that say you know it says that he wrote all those games this Dillinger guy, he's going to get sacked. Flynn's going to get the credit for creating, what was it called? A parent paranoia tanks? Space paranoias? Space <laughs> That's paranoias. what I got, man. Yeah. I think you and I both are suffering from space yeah. paranoias after all these months in this goddamn capsule. End of line. Then we get Flynn. He's got the helicopter. This is like the payoff scene is when like Flynn gets to see Alan and Laura in the real world. I think this is the first daylight scene in the whole movie yeah it could be i think so i think that's true i think no other time in this movie do we get sunlight at all it's always nighttime it's nighttime at the arcade yeah it's night at the office Uh, everyone's working late the whole thing and so right we get our first daylight shot and the the encom chopper you know looks blue in the daylight without it's like red running lights on alan and laura are on the roof and she looks very fetching in her angora top and Lebowski's wearing a double-breasted suit pops out of the chopper and he greets them as programs (laughs) yeah that's right (laughs) he's the good CEO yeah but he really fucked up doing this you know like I mean good god like he had an arcade that was raking in the dough and he didn't have to like be an adult yeah now what he doesn't want this job that guy that guy just wants to play Mattel football yeah you know I mean I guess if Encom is doing as well as it is, maybe he can just appoint himself the job of continuing to write video games and uh, yeah. be the playful uh, CEO of a big tech company or whatever. But they're making that laser in the basement. I guess. I don't know. I, st- I don't want to be in charge of any of that. I hear you. Do you remember the action figures for Tron? I do. Like they were kind of featureless just the most smooth yeah they were clear molds yeah and then they they paint clear molded plastic with like painted blue lines yeah the painted lines on them yeah they were very i mean they were unique for that time i remember i remember having a couple of the red bad guys with like the big hats you can get a vintage 1981 tron cassette tape and book read-along for 15 bucks that's not so bad no looks pretty sweet if it was narrated by jeff bridges i'd be tempted Welcome back, everybody. We are now at the section of the show where we tell each other if we liked this movie or not. This is the business end of the pod. Ryan, did you like this movie? I did. I do. Yeah. I gotta say, it's a bit long. I think they could lose about a half an hour. Um, Yeah. But not any one part, necessarily. I think it would just be doing some edits here and there to trim it down, to tighten it up. Mm Mm-hmm. I think it looks so cool. This was a monumental undertaking as far as I can understand with the types of animation they were doing and layering it with early computer graphics and how many times they had to shoot each frame to layer these things. It's crazy, but the outcome I think is beautiful. It's a delight to be in. It's very otherworldly. I think they very much succeed in creating another place. I also want to shout out Jean Girard, who is also known as Mobius, 
the grandfather of modern comics, who did all the costume and set design. So these are his ideas, design-wise, and that totally checks out with his other work. He didn't do all of it. No, he did He did the bulk of it. There was three designers, mm-hmm. and sometimes I kind of think that that does a, a yeah, disservice. Too many cooks in the kitchen? Yeah, there's definitely some design style, like there's some... I don't know, clashing of design styles in the computer world. I think so, too. I agree with that. It's a really cool time in sci-fi. We've been kind of bouncing around a little bit, and we're going to get more into this later, I'm sure, at the movies we'll see, but there's a cast of characters, you know, in this world of movies then that we begin to see. I mean, Mobius worked so much with Dan O'Bannon, who, you know, did the effects and starred in Dark Star and wrote Alien, and all these people work together, mostly through Yodowarski. We'll get farther down that rabbit hole in the future, but that's just really fun stuff to me. But I love the look. Yodowarski is the guy that did the crazy version of Dune, or or tried to. Yeah, the greatest science fiction movie that never got made. Right, yeah, okay. That is an amazing documentary, and I recommend it to anybody. Yeah, it was really, really good. And I also recommend Yodowarski's films. I think they're also great. But they're of a deeply surrealistic nature and there's a lot of images in those that people could could very much consider very disturbing but they're also very beautiful and they're very free examples of of art making and film and he brought all these people together to make that movie and to design that movie that never got made and the book that they made got passed around from studio to studio and basically the entire genre of science fiction was touched by this one effort and it's her diaspora from that one effort has colored our entire universe and it's it's a quite a source it's really fascinating so it's great to have one of those people on this and this is a few years later you know when they finally got this movie to disney convinced them to pick it up and put money behind it to really explore and create a new world that we've never seen before for that reason alone i think it's an amazing film also you know i think jeff bridges is great because he's always great i love him i enjoy the performances i enjoy the concept as a whole there's so much allegory between just fascism, everyday fascism in our real world, and then also projecting it from 1982 into the new frontier, the digital world that we're living in now and are faced with these kinds of forces as we speak. So on balance, there's very little I, I don't like about this movie, actually. Do you want to know what I think of it? Nathan, I would love to know <laughs> what you think about it. Yeah, I liked it. I mean, I've always liked it. Uh, Sarah and I saw it at the loft two years ago when it was like, I think it was a 70 millimeter, maybe not. They did four sci-fi movies that summer. I know some of them were 70 millimeter, but I think this was the one that was, it was 70 millimeter and like the colors had been redone or something. But anyway, it was great. It was great to see on the big screen and it was fun to watch it even, you know, just two years later in my living room. The movie didn't make as much money as they expected. It was profitable, you know, but I think at the time... Right, they thought it was going to be the breakout movie, right? Of the summer or whatever the fuck. Yeah, but it, but it was up against E.T. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> there was like a couple other movies, like The Legend of Nim or something. There's a That year, there was a lot of really good movies that came out, so... That, that movie's called The Secret of Nim, by the way. Oh, okay. No, you don't know All it? Right. <laughs> I mean, I know it, but I... I great movie i'm not i don't have some allegiance to getting the title right i guess when you look at the effects you know you might think they're primitive but this really was the first movie where the majority of the film has computer rendering these actors were filmed on stages with you know nothing around them and 
then everything was digitized and put in behind them. And Disney didn't even want to take the movie originally because they didn't think that it could be done. Nobody really cared if the story was any good. It was, they wanted to make the movie because this use of technology, but people didn't, weren't even sure it could happen. Um, and the backlit stuff is amazing. You know, the 70s were kind of full of that, like, but it was used. Yeah, it's got a disco sensibility to it. Yeah, but it was like used in commercials, like the 7-Up commercials, like the Uncola commercials used it to get that sort of glowing effect on logos. And so that also had never been done, not just the computer stuff, but a full movie. So the, the movie is almost entirely got computer stuff, but it also has almost entirely this backlit animation thing that had never been done on that scale. And so that is pretty cool. But, you know, I think the directing is and the story is definitely weak, but it, do, it doesn't really matter. Like, it's still, it's still a lot of fun to watch. I don't want to butt into your critique, but I, I think that's what I was trying to say about the, the Titan. Yeah, for sure. Because I think the story is cool, and I think it's important allegory to always retell and to keep alive in our in our kind of zeitgeist mythos. Um, but yeah, it was it was clunky and clumsy the way they did it in this. Yeah, for sure. So it wanders into these philosophical things, but it doesn't it doesn't really do them much of a service. It just sort of right. lays them at your feet and then says, you know, aren't aren't these fun things to think about, but it doesn't do any of the thinking. It just presents them. I think they got lucky with Jeff Bridges because he carries with his charisma you know, Box Box Lightner does a decent job, but you know, he's not he's he's sort of this straight, you know, nerd dude. Um as Tron, right, he's very predictable, like what you're gonna get, but and so Bridges is charismatic and unpredictable and fun. So while you're taking in all of this eye candy and sort of some of these longer scenes that are, you know, maybe needed to be tightened up, he at least keeps you engaged to sort of get through those stretches that where you might otherwise sort of be like, okay, well, I, I get it. I've seen this and, you know, now I'm, I'm looking for something more. That effortless, chill charisma that he can do. I also want to not leave this section of the transmission without talking about the musical score for a second because i think it's an important part of any movie an extremely important part and with so many of these we've done so far we've gotten some pretty innovative and new soundtracks and i have to say like there weren't a lot of times during the film that i noticed the soundtrack definitely here and there it jumped out when i did hear it i was curious about it it was cool and then so i was like well who's responsible for this which is one of the uh another pioneer electronic musician i feel like we get a lot of those so far in the movies we've seen but this is the kind of movies we're watching it's it's great uh her name is wendy carlos she did all the stuff for clockwork orange i don't know if you're familiar with that no i'm familiar with her like i mainly i've just seen photos of her with her crazy laboratory setup is it just like banks of moogs and patch bays I mean, Moog. Yeah, I don't even know what it was. Like, the tons of patch chords, a couple, you know, keyboards. I, I'm not a keyboard person, so I don't know which, what, by eye, I, I wouldn't know what who made them, but I'm assuming Moog. But also, like, racks of, like, you know, meters and knobs and switches to, like, I'm sure they're just oscillators and filters and things. But there's, like, a classic photo of her that shows up in any sort of, like, electronic music history type thing. But she definitely has those, like... uh the same kind of glasses that uh, Tron was wearing, or, or Alan, is, you know, was wearing in this movie. That like those big engineer glasses. 
She's responsible for Switched On Bach. You have to remember that. I do remember that. I didn't know she did that. Oh, hey, check this out. When we were talking about what movies it was competing with for that summer, Secret of Nim. In the beginning, we were ordinary street rats. It was also competing with E.T. It was also competing with Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Buried alive. Buried alive. Blade Runner. I've seen things you people wouldn't believe. And Poltergeist. All the summer of 82. Fuck, that is a fucking awesome summer of movies. Yeah, it's, it'd be very easy to be a very good movie and like be fifth and sixth at the box office that year. So uh, you recommend? Oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, you'd have to watch this movie. All right, so there you have it. What are we going to see next time? The Last Starfighter. The Last Starfighter. All right. This is seems directly linked with Tron. I mean, this is a... What I remember of that movie is it was based on, I mean, a fictitious video game. <laughs> Wait a minute. Oh, I, I thought you were going to say a fictitious story. <laughs> <laughs> it's a fictitious fiction story. Based on a true story. Doesn't he um, get trained via playing a video game? Oh, yeah. It's totally another ar- yeah arcade game movie. Bouncing right off of Tron here. Cool. Well, Last Starfighter... Uh, I don't know, man. They, I wanted this to be true so bad. Uh, me too. Who doesn't want to be scooped up and conscripted into an interstellar war and forced into space <laughs> combat? <laughs> yeah, I guess it doesn't sound that good. <laughs> what the shit? Well, we thank you once again for tuning into our transmission here in our escape pod. You can find us on this frequency most Wednesdays. No, no half of the Wednesdays. One half of the Wednesdays. In the meantime, you can find us on the internet. We're at sci-fi escape pod at gmail. If you want to drop us a line, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review and tell your friends. Yes, please. And we will see you next time. Yeah, I look forward to it. Ciao. End of line.